If you have your Bibles this morning, you can open up to Zechariah chapter 4. That's where we're going to be at as we continue uh, this series looking at the visions of Zechariah. We're going to be looking at his fifth vision this morning that's found in chapter 4. With with having uh, another son on the way in my family's life in a couple of months, uh, I've started to reflect back a little bit on what it was like to have uh, an infant in our house and to be a parent for the first time. Because people kind of ask you when they know you've got a child on the way, hey, are you ready for this? Uh, and there's this kind of sense of, I, I don't know, I guess, maybe we'll find out in two months. Uh, but as I've reflected back, uh, two things have kind of stuck out to me. Uh, and there are two things that I would guess if you are a parent, you can relate to specifically. Or if you're not a parent, you can relate to just generally in some area of your life. That, that on the one hand, to have an infant or, or just have a child in general feels like a role or a responsibility that's just too big to handle, right? Like you, you are given this living, breathing human being and expected to keep them alive. And I think like, who said I was qualified for this? I, I didn't take any tests. They didn't say I could do, like who said I could do this? I, I've got to care for him, raise him, support him, protect him. In some sense, being a parent feels like this is too big, too much for me to handle. And yet on the other side of things, then there's this reality of being a parent or having an infant in your house just kind of fills your life with more kind of ordinary, mundane, small things to do day by day by day, right? Uh, Give a baby a bottle, clean a bottle, burp a baby, change a baby's diaper, put a baby down for a nap, army crawl out of their room to keep them from waking up, uh, and then do it all over again two hours later, Right? There's this kind of sense in which having an infant, having a child on one hand feels too big to handle, and on the other hand fills your life with small acts that maybe at times seem too small and ordinary to be of any significance. And I think that's a reality that's true in our lives in all sorts of ways. That, that in your life and my life, there are things that we face that feel just too big for us to handle too big for us to accomplish, too big for us to face. I I would guess if you just take a moment and reflect and think back about your past month or even right now, you can identify there's something I'm facing that I'm just not sure that I can keep going in the midst. I'm not sure I can handle it. I'm not sure I can take this on anymore. And yet on the other side, that our lives are full of all sorts of ordinary, mundane, small moments that we might wonder at times, Is this of any significance? Like, is this making any impact at all? Things that you do day after day, week after week, or maybe even just one time that feels so small that you think that that can't really matter, that can't really be significant. Our lives are full of things too big for us to handle and yet also too small at times to seem significant. And it's into both of these realities of our lives that Zechariah's fourth or fifth vision in chapter four speaks into then here's the big idea that I hope we're going to see as we look at this this morning. God accomplishes big things through small people by the power of his spirit. God accomplishes big things through small people by the power of his spirit. Zechariah 4 is specifically addressing Zerubbabel, who's the governor of the Israelites who returned home from exile. If you remember, that's kind of the setting of this book. And in this vision, God is encouraging Zerubbabel and the rest of the returned Israelites to rebuild the temple, keep rebuilding the temple. 
That's kind of the backdrop of this whole book, but it's especially something that's focused on in chapter 4. And yet what we find here in this vision applies to all of life as we seek to live by faith in God and dependence on his spirit in our lives. And so we're going to read in uh, Zechariah 4, verses 1 through 14. Um, I'm actually going to read from the New Living Translation this morning. I know I usually use the ESV, so sorry if that confuses you. But the wording of this vision especially is a little bit confusing, and I felt like the NLT makes it just a little bit clearer for us to understand. So if you don't have a New Living Translation, you can look up at the screen. That's where it's going to be. Let me pray for us, and then we'll read this together. Father, you know the realities of our lives. You know what we're facing. You know the things that we are facing right now that just leave us feeling overwhelmed, too big to handle. And you know the things that we're doing day by day by day, week by week by week, and left wondering, does does this even matter? God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would speak into both of those realities this morning, that we might feel the weight of what Zechariah says, especially in verse 6 of what we're going to read. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Pray that, that reality would shape our lives both this morning and as we head out of here this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as I kind of already gave on, uh, this chapter has two of my favorite verses in the book of Zechariah. And so I gave away one already. See if you might be able to pick out the other one as we read through. Then the angel who had been talking with me returned and woke me as though I had been asleep. What do you see now, he asked. I answered, I see a gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. And around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts with wicks. And I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. And I asked the angel, what what are these, my Lord? What, What do they mean? Don't you know, the angel asked. No, my Lord, I replied. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of the temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. Then I asked the angel, what what are these two olive trees on either side of the lampstand? And what are the two olive branches that pour out golden oil through gold tubes? Don't you know, he asked. No, my Lord, I replied. Then he said to me, they represent two anointed ones who stand in the court of the Lord of the earth, of all the earth. We're we're going to approach this vision in this way this morning. First of all, looking at the actual vision contained in verses 1 through 5 and then verses 11 through 14 to hopefully discover two truths that this vision displays. And then we're going to look at verses 6 through 10, where kind of the meat of this passage, the thrust of what the vision is communicating, in order to discover two ways that these truths should impact our lives in the midst of big and small things that we face throughout this life. And so first of all, two truths this vision displays. 
The, the actual vision of verses 1 through 3, maybe you read through and you're like, again, this just sounds confusing. What's happening here? What's the picture here? Um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of encouraged as we go through and find Zechariah asking, like, what is this? What does this mean? I don't understand. Because we come back to this reality with visions that we're not always going to understand all the specific details. But there are big things that God wants us to grasp in the midst of seeing these visions, just like he wanted Zechariah to grasp. And so we can get kind of the big picture of what this vision is, that it's these two olive trees, and they've got branches or funnels that are going down into a big golden bowl, and around that bowl, either on the bottom or the top, there are these seven lamps. And so if you're more of a visual person, this might be a little bit what it looked like. You can see those two trees. You can see pipes going out of those trees, going down into the bowl, and then branching out into seven lamps. But it seems like there's not just seven lamps but actually each one of those lamps has seven lights on it. That they might have even been in the shape of a Jewish menorah, which maybe you've seen before. It was the seven-lamp candle that they would place in the temple. And it was a symbol, at least the menorah was, I know it kind of sounds like I'm saying menorah. I, I did this yesterday. I'm like, man, it sounds like I'm saying menorah over and over. I'm not. Menorah is what I'm saying. Uh, but, but it was meant to be a symbol of God's favor and his presence among the people. And so we should just stop and think about why this vision. Why would God show Zechariah and the Israelites this? There is no temple right now. Remember, they're building the temple back up, right? No temple, which means no menorah in the temple. And so the very thing, the temple and all that's in it, that would represent to them, God is with us, is absent. And so they're likely asking, is God with us? Like, is he with us as we rebuild the temple, or are we doing this on our own? Where's he at? Is he with us? We don't have anything we can see in front of us that would tell us God is with us. And into that, God gives this vision, not just of one menorah, but likely of seven, 49 lights that would have been extremely bright between these trees. And it's an extremely loud way of God saying, yes, I am with you right now through everything that you're facing. That that one of the first truths we can see from this vision is God is with us through all the big and small things we face. One of the greatest encouragements and truths we have as God's people, as those who've trusted in Christ to save us, is that God is with us through everything, big and small. It's why Haggai, who's prophesying at the same time as Zechariah is going to say to the Israelites, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. To which we might just say this first of all, God is with us even when we don't see it. Or maybe we could tag on there when we don't feel it, right? That's what we just sung in Waymaker. You're with us, you're working, even when we don't see it. Because we wonder at times. We wonder at times. Is God with us? He says he is, but I don't see it, and I don't feel it. Is he really with us? And we don't have a temple to look at or a a menorah to look at that would say, yeah, he is. But by faith in Christ, we can boldly say, he is always absolutely with us. That, that Jesus comes and he comes as Emmanuel, God with us. A- and that 
he opens the way for us to know that God's always with us because he's the one who comes to die for our sins and bring us back into God's family. And so we don't look at a temple, we don't look at a menorah, we look at Christ and we know God is with us through everything. And then we know that Jesus has sent his spirit who now lives within us. That in the most real way possible, God is always, always right with us, living in us through faith in Christ. Which the second thing then means God is at work even when we don't see it. Which is a lot of times. Which is a lot of times. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times where I don't see what God's doing, what he's up to, and yet God is still at work. There's something that happens in your life and in my life 100,000 times a day, if not more. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And you've never seen it. Again and again, it happens over and over and over. You've never seen it. And it's an incredible thing because it's the very thing that keeps you alive moment by moment. Right? What, what is it? Your heart beating inside you. We never see it, and yet it's constantly happening. There's this same reality to God is at work far more than 100,000 times a day. He's at work constantly, and even when we don't see it, it's true if his spirit dwells within us. God's at work in whatever we're facing. He's making us more like Jesus, and he's building his kingdom in and through us. One of the reasons we get discouraged in the face of big things and small things is because we wonder, is God really with me, and is he really at work in the midst of this? And when we start to really grasp and believe that truth moment by moment and apply it to whatever we're facing, it can help us with our discouragement. Like whatever big thing that you face or I face, I feel like this is too much for me to handle to realize God's with me in it and he's at work in it. And whatever small thing that feels like there's no way that God could use this, God is with you and he's at work in it. So that's the first truth I think this vision wants us to get. God is with us and he's at work even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. And the second, God will supply all that we need for whatever we face through his spirit. This vision shows us two olive trees. And Zechariah at the end in verse 11 through 12 says, what are these olive trees? Why in the world are these olive trees in this vision? What's happening? And the angel says, well, don't you know? And Zechariah says, no. Like, tell me, what are they? And the angel responds and says, well, these are the two anointed ones who stand before the Lord. Two anointed ones. People take this and they think, well, either it means it's talking about Zerubbabel, who's the governor, and Joshua, who's the high priest at this time, or about Zechariah and Haggai, who were prophets at this time. No one really knows which one exactly it's referring to in this moment, but it's this idea of throughout the Old Testament, God calls people to some specific role, and then he anoints them with his spirit to carry out that role. And that most often shows up in the Old Testament with kings and prophets and priests. God calls people to something and then supplies them with his spirit to carry out that calling. And this reality is most fully demonstrated in Jesus' life. Jesus is the Messiah. That's what we call him, which is just another word for anointed one. That he's the one anointed by the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's the son of God, but also he's anointed by the Spirit to carry out the role of living, dying, raising, and rescuing sinners. That's why when Jesus shows up and preaches his first sermon ever in Luke chapter 4, he quotes Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then this exact same spirit is the spirit that Jesus anoints his followers with, those who trust in Christ to save them. And so that's why I can say in a passage like John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus said, it's better that I'm not right here physically with you in this moment. Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The, the same spirit who anointed Jesus, yes, anointed him for a different role, don't get me wrong on that, but the same spirit who lived in Jesus now lives in us if our faith is in Christ. And what I fear for myself and maybe for, for a lot of us, is we hear that and we kind of nod our heads and say, yeah, that's Christianity 101, right? We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us through faith in Christ, right? We're the same spirit. How many of us live like that's actually true? Like I asked that and I'm asking that question to myself. How often do I really believe the same spirit who anointed Jesus, who worked in power through him, is now sent and anoints me and is able to work in power in my own life? Man, that's an incredible thing to have. That I, that I have the Holy Spirit in my life and now he's the one who enables me to love, trust, and obey Jesus. Because it's through his spirit that Jesus supplies us with what we need moment by moment by moment by moment, day after day after day. The, the other fascinating part about this picture of the olive trees is that the oil is coming straight out of them and it never runs out. It keeps flowing into the bowl and it never runs out. It never runs out of supply. Thomas McKinsey talks about this passage and he says that spouts empty out the oil indicates that we are to picture the oil flowing in profusion, not simply dripping from the spouts. This element of the vision underscores the abundant supply of God's spirit for the task at hand. This element underscores the abundant overflowing supply of God's spirit for the task at hand. Or Richard Phillips also says about this passage, oil is one of the clearest symbols in all the Bible, consistently pointing to the spirit of God. Just as the flow of oil keeps the lights shining, so the Holy Spirit empowers and animates every spiritual work. Do we believe that we can do nothing to love, trust, and obey Jesus apart from his Holy Spirit in us? Or do we think, no, we can do that on our own? Like, do, do we believe we have this incredible resource and power in the Holy Spirit that enables us to do all that God calls us to do? Or do you think, no, I, I can actually handle that on my own, right? My, my son uh, at our house has this little Power Wheels Jeep that he loves to drive, drives it anywhere he can, drives it in his backyard, drives it up to his neighbors. Uh, our priest, the preschool he goes to is actually across the field, and so he drives it to preschool sometimes. It's fantastic. He knows that Jeep won't move unless there's a 12-volt battery in it. Like, he knows. If he gets in it, he's like, it doesn't go forward. Daddy, where's the battery at? He knows it's not steering. Where's the battery at? Like, this thing does not move without the battery. Do do we have 
the same type of grasp and understanding of our lives as Christians. We don't move. We don't change. We don't experience growth in Christ. We don't experience God's kingdom moving apart from his spirit working in us. And the incredible thing is we never run out of God's spirit. He's always with us. God supplies him moment by moment for whatever you need, whatever I need to love, trust, and obey Jesus in both the big things and the small things that you are facing right now in your life. God is with us, and God supplies all we need through his spirit moment by moment to live for him. Those two truths are meant to impact us and offer us hope and a way forward in the face of things that seem too big for us to handle and too small to be significant. And so let's take those two truths now and apply them specifically to those two areas. Looking at then verses 6 through 10 in this vision. First thing being, big things become an opportunity to rely on God's spirit. Big things become an opportunity to rely on God's spirit. I I wonder if maybe you're like me, and you look back at this book of Zechariah, and you know the people are building the temple, and you think, how hard could it be to build a temple? Like, why did they struggle with this so much? Like, why can't they just build this? They need two prophets to come and, like, push them to build. How hard could it be? But if you and I were Zerubbabel or living at this time, that would have seemed like an insurmountable task to do, an insurmountable challenge. Where, where Where do you get the resources to build this temple, the bricks? It's not like there's this great economy in, in Israel. Like, where do you get that? How do you organize a workforce No one's built a temple in the past 70 years. I mean, how how do you build a temple? Where do you get the money to accomplish this? There was a famine recently. The economy's flat. Inflation's high. Like, what? what? Like, things are a lot more than whatever a two-by-four costs for us today. Not only that, how do you handle neighbors who are trying to, like, discourage you and, and undermine the task? Some of you have, I think, built houses, your own house before. Maybe had someone else do it for you, but you kind of went through the process of it. I've not done that, but I've heard how difficult that can be. Imagine that difficulty times like a hundred, right? You don't just have two people weighing in on decisions. You got hundreds of people with their opinions on decisions. You've got a constant workforce that's bogged down and discouraged. You don't know if you're going to have enough money to supply or complete this. And not only that, you've got neighbors who are opposing you building. Like every night, they're trying to tear down your progress, and they're calling the township saying they don't have the right permits. That's what they're facing. This would have seemed overwhelming. And it's into that situation, God says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. I know that you and I are not facing building a temple. But I also know that you and I face things that feel too big for us to handle. Too big. Think about it for a moment. Where is there something in your life right now? You're like, this is just too big for me to handle. That, that maybe it's a specific relationship that is just a struggle and a grind and you just don't know, like, I don't know what to do with this. Maybe it's a a big decision that looms for you or your family. What are we going to do next? Where am I going to get work at? Where am I going to go to college? What's my career? Whatever it might be, some big decision. Maybe it's a battle with sin and temptation. Maybe it's an area of ministry God's called you to that you're like, just, 
I don't know. This seems so big. I don't think I can do this. Or, or reaching other people with the gospel. You think, how in the world do I go about that? Maybe, maybe it's an area of suffering in your life. Do you think, I, I don't know I can keep going. I don't know I can bear up one more day. Maybe it's just a parenting or marriage struggle or something else like that. You're just like, this is just too much for me to handle. Think about where is an area, because we learn two things from these verses that I think can apply directly into those places that feel too big for us to handle. And here's the first one. We need to rely on God's spirit to empower us. It's so easy for us to look at the big things we face that God takes us through, that he brings into our lives, and to think, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to handle this? How am I going to accomplish something in this area? And all the while, God wants us to see we don't rely, we're not meant to rely on our own strength, on our own means, on our own wisdom, but to rely on his spirit because his spirit is a power far greater than any we have in ourselves. Imagine for a moment with me that you had in your backyard, I just want to give a picture of this, you have in your backyard a tree that you want to take down. And let's say it's, I don't know if this is two feet in diameter, but two feet in diameter is how big it is. And it's 75 feet tall. You're like, I got to get that tree out of there. And one day you decide, all right, this is the day. I'm taking that tree down. This is the day it's happening. And you walk out into your garage and you pick up your handy dandy hatchet and you walk out and you go to the tree and you just start chopping at it with your hatchet. I guarantee within 30 minutes, you're going to give up, right? Like that that tree is just not coming down in your own strength with a hatchet. There's no way. And how sad, maybe sad is not the right word, how awful it would have been if when you picked up that hatchet, you walked right past a steel chainsaw that you had sitting on the ground in your garage that could have taken that tree down in a matter of minutes once you had everything tied up. Why why give that example? Because I, I wonder how often in our lives the discouragement in the face of the big things that we're facing comes from because we're only relying on our own strength, our own means, our own wisdom. We're trying to take down a two foot tree with a hatchet when the Holy Spirit is there to empower us in ways that we never could on our own if we would just call out to him. And the second thing then we might see is we need God's spirit to accomplish what we can't. I love the picture God gives in verse 7, the picture of a mountain becoming a plain. Right? Mountain becoming a plain. It's this image of, hey, Zerubbabel, whatever obstacles you face that seem too big for you, whether personal or political or financial, whatever it might be, I'm going to overcome them as you trust me and obey me that God wanted Zerubbabel to recognize there are going to be things you simply cannot do and you need to rely on me to do them through my spirit and you need to call out to me to do them. Several years ago, we we did have a tree in our backyard that we wanted to take down. So it wasn't really in our backyard. It was was kind of close to our house. And uh, me and another person thought, "We're, we're going to take this tree down one day. And we get out there and we very quickly realized, uh, the tree's bigger than what we thought. Uh, the tree is a whole lot closer to our house and our neighbor's house than what we thought. Uh, and the tree's like twisted in a weird direction. 
Uh, and so my goal immediately became for convincing us, we can't do this. We can't do this. This is going to end badly. And that recognition of, hey, we can't do this, served to have us then call out to the person who could. Call a tree removal company and say, hey, can you come remove our tree? You guys have the tools and the resources. You come do it for us. And then they were able to take the tree down. See, my recognition, I can't do this, was what prompted me to say, all right, let's call the very person or the very people who can do it. God takes us through big things that are too much for us to handle so that we might recognize I cannot do this, but God's spirit can, and I'm going to call out to him, and I'm going to ask him to do what I cannot do in this situation, whether it be in a relationship, whether it be a decision, whether it be a parenting struggle, whatever it might be. God, you do what I can't do. The only prerequisite to having God work in and through you in whatever area feels too big for you is that we might experience our weakness and helplessness and call to God for help. Like, you don't need a Bible college degree for God to work through you. you. You don't need to have been a Christian for a certain amount of years and achieved a certain level of maturity. You don't, you don't need to have all the right answers. You don't need to have your life all together. But what you and I do need is to recognize, I can't do it. I can't do it. And God, I so desperately need your help through your spirit to empower me and to do what I can't do in this situation. God calls us to stop trying to do things on our own strength and to rely on his spirit to do what we can't do. Where do you need to apply that truth right now in your life? Like, Where is it that you're like, I'm just relying on myself and I need to rely on God's spirit to do what I cannot do? I, I, I want to actually just pause here for a moment. I want to have us think about that for just a second and then actually have us just pray for a minute. Have us pray, God, here's this situation, here's this thing I'm facing, feels too big for me to handle. I need your spirit to help me. I need you to do what I can't do and to call out to God in prayer and trust him to work. And so let's just pray for a minute and I'll I'll wrap us up in prayer and then we'll finish with our final point. Father, we are people who are so small and frail and weak, and we try to cover over that in so many ways. And yet the the big things that we face in our lives are meant to both expose our weakness and expose our dependence on you. And so I pray that our lives in some way might be the motto, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. And that whatever thing that seems too big for us to handle, we would lean on you and rely on you and see your spirit move in powerful ways. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if that's too big to handle, what about too small to be significant? Because Zachariah is going to address that too. Small things become an opportunity to trust God's spirit. Because if you catch after this great line, not by might nor by power, says my spirit, then in verse 10, God goes on to say, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Another way to say that is, do not despise the day of small things. It was really easy for Israel, as they returned from exile, to think ours is a day of small things. All we're doing is laying bricks. 
to build a temple that's going to pale in comparison to the former glory days. All we're doing is laying bricks. Like, why does this matter? What could God possibly be doing with this? And, and here's what I know for us, too. There are areas in your life and my life where we do things over and over and over again, maybe not laying bricks, but it feels like that, where we wonder, how could this matter? How could this be significant? How could God possibly use this? Maybe it's in praying that if we step back and we were honest, we wondered, do any of these prayers even matter? God see it? Is it significant? Is it doing anything? Maybe it's in just small acts of obedience day after day where you, where you attempt to die to yourself and live for Christ, and you're like, I, I don't feel like I'm making any great growth or progress. Does this matter? Maybe it's in serving your family, doing the laundry, cleaning the house, getting meals ready, taking care of the kids, separating fights, and, and wonder, does anyone even see this? Does this matter? Maybe it's in your bedtime routine or family discipleship routine with your kids where you seek to pray with them, read the Bible with them. Meanwhile, they're running around screaming, and you're like, is anyone getting anything out of this apart from me getting impatient and worked up? Man, maybe you feel that way just coming to church this morning. Is it worth getting out the door in the morning? Is God God going to use this? Maybe it's in serving in the local church and feeling like the small role I play here is having no great impact. Maybe it's in dealing with a difficult coworker who you're constantly trying to reflect Christ to and you think that all they do is criticize me and nothing seems to get through. Maybe it's in retirement where the ways God has called you to serve seem to pale in comparison to how he used to use you and call you to serve. Where in your life are you doing things in obedience to God that feel small and insignificant as if they don't matter? In that area, I hope that these two things might encourage us, keep us going, give us hope. First, God sees and rejoices in small acts of obedience. This passage tells us in verse 10, the eyes of the Lord search the whole world. And it's this idea that God sees even the smallest thing, even brick laying by his people. And then right before that, it says, God sees and rejoices to see the small things. The day of small beginnings and Zerubbabel holding a level in his hand. God sees that and rejoices in it. Hear me on this. You serve a God who gets excited about small things. You serve a God who gets excited about small acts of obedience. I I think part of why we get so discouraged in our small, mundane, ordinary lives is because we wonder, does anyone see this? And the answer is yes. God sees it. And he delights in it, and it, it, it brings him joy to see you obeying him day by day by day, even as you stumble and fall and do it imperfectly. Like changing a baby's diaper out of love for that baby and love for God or worship to God. Praying for a coworker as you go to work or go home. Telling your kids or grandkids one more time about how much Jesus loves them and what he's done in your life. Serving faithfully in the nursery month after month after month. God sees all of those and everything else and rejoices in every small act of obedience. I mean, let that encourage us where we feel like, does this matter? Yes, it does in God's eyes, even if it doesn't in anyone else's. And and then the second thing, God accomplishes big things through small things. God's going to complete his temple through the Israelites, this passage tells us. And then as a result, he's going to bring the Israelites back into a nation. And then one day through that nation, 
he's going to send his very own son who's going to live and die and then raise again to rescue people. And then that son is going to come back again one day in the future to make all things new. And God uses a group of Israelites in 520 BC who are laying bricks as part of that plan. That's incredible. God uses bricklayers to bring about his act of cosmic redemption through Christ. Denise Hughes says this, God loves to take small things and make them matter in big ways. God loves to take small things and make them matter in big ways. And here's what I would guess. If you just even think back about your own life, you can point out an area where you've seen God do this, where you've seen God do something big in your own life through a lot of small things. Let let me just give you an, an example from my own life. I think about why Why do I have a desire to know God's word, to know him through his word? A a desire that that was not there at one point in life. Like, why why do I have this desire? Because there was this one really big moment where I was in my bedroom and fog kind of came up through the vents and the ground started to shake and God showed up with a a Bible that was on fire and he said, this is powerful, know it. No, I've not had that experience. I don't expect to ever have that experience in my life. Why do I have a desire to know God through his word? Because my dad told me Bible stories as a young kid before bed that God used to capture my imagination for his word. Because I saw my parents take seriously studying God's word and seeking to obey it, albeit imperfectly. Because there was people praying for me in high school and that God eventually used that to prompt me to open back up the Bible and see, is God real? Because there was a teacher who taught one week at YWAM about studying the Bible, and God used it to open my eyes to them. This is full of depth and riches. Because there was a teacher I had at LBC who had this delight and wonder as he talked about the Bible and reading it, and probably a thousand other things that I don't know. God used all those things to accomplish something in my life by his Spirit that I might desire to know him through his word. And I guarantee if you're willing to think about your own life, you might point, pinpoint an area that's happened in your own life. And, and, and I would challenge you, do that this week, because it might be really encouraging to you in the midst of your own small acts of obedience to see how God's used it in your life. Like God loves to take small things and do big things through them. God is at work in small things doing something big. Here's, here's a picture for this before we conclude. I wonder how often your life, my life, and all the ordinary, mundane, day-by-day moments feel like Lego pieces in our lives. Scattered about, maybe you're stepping on them in the middle of the night. You're just like, what? I I was thinking about this week, and I I researched, what's one of the hardest Lego sets to put together? And one of them was this, a uh, Lego creator roller coaster. Here's what it looks like when you get it out of the box. The next slide. Know how many pieces that is? 4,124 mainly tiny pieces. I think about, isn't that, that's how often, how I feel about my life at times. Like tons of just little pieces that I'm not sure, do they connect? Is anything happening? Is God doing anything through those? But those pieces in the midst of a Lego builder's hands all of a sudden become put together to create something great, this Lego roller coaster. God is far greater than a Lego builder. 
God can take all the seemingly mundane, insignificant moments that seem pointless to you and I, things we do over and over again, wonder what's God going to do with it, and he can do something big and incredible through it. And he loves when we act in faith, believing that's true. To which I just want to encourage us, trust God and take a step. Trust God and take a step. Where does something in your life feel too big for you to handle? Trust God and take a step. Where does something feel too small to be insignificant? Trust God and keep stepping in that direction. What's fascinating about the Israelites rebuilding the temple, if you track this story in Ezra 5 through 6, is they obey God and they start rebuilding the temple. And Zerubbabel's doing it. And then there's this neighbor named Tatanai. And Tatanai looks in, and he sees them doing this. He's like, I don't think so. You're not supposed to be doing this. Tatanai is maybe the first tattletale, because he goes to the emperor, Darius, or sends a letter. He says, hey, Darius, you might want to know, you've got this group of Israelites building a temple. I think you should check it out and maybe stop them. All of a sudden, Israel's like, man, the emperor knows he could come in and wipe us out. He could stop this in an instant. But they keep building, trusting God. And what happens is Darius looks back, and he finds there, there's this decree from an earlier emperor, Cyrus, that says the Israelites should rebuild their temple. And Darius sends a letter back to Tatnai. And get this, he says, not only can't you stop their work, but you know all the taxes you've collected? You've got to give them to the Israelites to finish the temple. And not only that, hey, if they need any sheep, they need any ox, they need any cows, anything, you've got to give those too, because they're going to complete this work. That the Israelites took a step trusted God, and saw him come through in a big way. Where might that be true in your own life? Again, where's something that's too big to handle? You think, God wants me to reach lost people with the gospel? That seems overwhelming and too big to handle. Okay, but where's one small step you might take in faith that God might use you? And if you don't know, maybe we call out to the Holy Spirit and say, help me to know. You feel like God wants you to show hospitality to other people in your life? Like, that feels big. How do I do that? Who's one person or one couple you could invite over in the next two months to get to know and welcome to your home? You, you feel like God wants me to disciple my family, my kids, and my grandkids? How, how do I do that? What's one way that you could point to God throughout your days and trust him to use it in their lives? Take a step and trust God. Or those small, mundane areas of your life that, that just seem to not be of significance. Keep doing them and trust God to use them. Wake up and do another humbling day of caring for your family and loving them and serving them and trust that God is making you more like Jesus. Go to work one more day and make it not just about working, but about hopefully reflecting Christ to your coworkers throughout the day. One more day, pray for your kids and grandkids that they might come to know Christ and then trust that God might use that. Bear whatever difficulty God's sending your way with patience and endurance and trust him. Like, whatever it might seem like, it's just so small and mundane, do it and trust God to use it. There, there's nothing too big for God's spirit to overcome, and there's nothing too small for God's spirit to use. Not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Father, we worship you because you're a God who's at work even when we don't see it. We pray that we'd be people who believe that truth, people who lean on your spirit, rely on your spirit, depend on your spirit, and as a result, step out take a step in whatever direction you want us to go or keep taking steps in whatever mundane things you've given us to do in our lives.
then we might trust you to use them in a big and awesome way for your glory. Okay, so Jesus' name.